Welcome to this Centro de Poder interview with the experts. I am Candela Garibay, director, and I am honored to present to you Robert Boyd, who is the founder and director of Triangle Feldenkrais. He uh, became a Feldenkrais practitioner studying with Ivan Jolie himself. He's also a dancer of the Deep End Ensemble of Interplay dance improvisation, and he's also a mathematician, a physicist, and a computer science expert. Thank you so much, Robert, for joining us in, in this session where we are going to explore how to overcome essential inhibition. Thank well, you. I'm happy to be here with you. Wonderful. So, um, in in one of your um, quotes from your work, you said that you don't need to settle for what is. Would you share with us how would it be not settling with inhibition? Okay. So, uh, my experience of dealing with inhibition myself and with my Feldenkrais students and in the creative performing environment is that um, inhibition, uh, while it is something that we resort to often for protection, uh, it has a limiting effect. And uh, this is also true in the martial arts, uh, which I have some limited experience with. Uh, the inhibition uh, is like deciding ahead of time that we'll only do things within this box and the choices out here, we're not gonna use those for whatever reason that we've decided this is the framework that we wanna stay within. And while it can have the sense of protecting us, it also means that uh, it, it keeps us from discovering other choices that might be even better. And so uh, one way that we experience that many times is if we've stayed inside of some container for long enough, uh, it's very much like being in isolation in a prison cell. Uh, our system develops a sense of deprivation yes. because we see other people uh, doing things that are outside of our inhibition zone. And one of two things often happens with those, at least from my personal experience, what I experience is that when I'm living in that kind of space, I see someone doing something and I either get irritated with them or I get excited to see what they're doing and go, oh, I wish I could do that. Um, and I've discovered that the irritation is often uh, related to some sense that I have that if that I want to do that, but I've made a decision that I won't. It's not that I can't. We yeah. often use the words, I can't do that. But the truth is we've made a decision that we will not. And we will not even consider it as a possibility. So then this tension builds up inside of us. It's not a, it's not a good tension in the sense that it, it begins to, um, well, honestly, it leads to resentment and yeah. anger. Yes. And then at some point, we don't even know where it's coming from, but it's all related to some need we had that we chose to stay in the box. So then, you know, and then the other thing is we see someone doing something fun or exciting and we say things like, I could never do that when the truth is I, I am choosing to never do that. Um, now there may be, I mean, there certainly are physical 
limitations that some of us have that would be a problem for doing some kinds of things like someone who's paralyzed is not going to get on a trapeze and fly through the air without help yes yet there are ways for people with those kind of limitations to experience things that they tell themselves they can't and um, so from my perspective as a teacher my role is to create a space where people can experience feeling safe yes um experimenting in small ways not leaping off a cliff yes but to make small advances to go out to the edge of their box at first and to discover that they can be on that edge without collapsing or uh, some people talk about if I do that, it's, I'm gonna cry and I won't be able to stop crying. Yes. So to create a space where uh, even those experiences can feel safe Yes. so that they can stay with it long enough to have an experience of uh, experimenting. Yeah, I think I think it's really about experimenting, moving a little bit, coming back home, moving a little bit further out. And you can see this with small children yes. when they're learning to move away from mother. Yes. Uh, a good mothering experience is to allow the child to move farther away. And what you'll see in those interactions, uh, you can see it in children and mothers every day or on video, uh, the child will go and they'll look back at the mother. And if the mother is approving, they'll move a little farther. And this is, and this is not about this situation where the child is just flying off, running. You know, I've seen that too. <laughs> Many children do that, but in this exploratory phase, they, they're lo looking to see how safe it is, how far they can go safely without losing that connection with mother. And of yeah. course, later, uh, as we grow to adulthood, the challenge of parenting is to make it safe for the child to move completely out of the zone of being connected with home and to have their own ability to make home wherever they are. And it's that way too with this um this personal moving out of inhibition because the inhibition has become home it, yes. and um i uh, to quote someone else uh, better the devil we know than the devil we don't yes yes and there's so there's a sense of danger outside of the box so the challenge is to create a safe way to open or soften the box to stretch it a little bit and then maybe let it slowly dissolve over time. But it's not the kind of thing that most people, uh, if they have like a peak experience where they're sudden, where their box is just blown open, uh, many times they find themselves pulling back in afterwards. Yes. And then they're sort of wishing they could have another peak experience to get out of their box, but they don't know how to open the box. Yes. It's like only the experts know how. Oh, I think our screen freeze a little bit. Hello? Can you listen to me, Rob? I'm going to send you a message. Hello? Hello? Hello, hello. <clears throat> I think uh, we start the call. Yes, so 
what happens when when the box that contains you just blow, blows away suddenly? Um, does that mean that there's no uh, like reliable learning or construction? Exactly. There's um, while those kind of moments can be extremely invigorating and pleasurable. Uh, unless we're working with someone who can be present with us in that moment and structure the experience in a way that sort of creates a, um, well, I just say the word safe container. Yes. For having that experience, then we get left with uh, a lack of understanding of how even though we've been through the experience, the mechanism of uh, emerging into that experience is, uh, I would describe it as mysterious. Yes. We don't understand what happened to us. It may take a long time to integrate what happened. And what happens most of the time is that we return to our routine and then we collapse in again. Yes. We have this memory of a fantastic experience. And we, I've heard this many times after church retreats or men's groups retreats or therapy uh, intensives. Why can't it always be like that? And uh, that was a fantastic experience. I want that every day. And um, or there's something we experience during it that we want more of. And that's really the key is becoming uh, friends with that part of us that knows we want more. Um, friends with that part in us that, that wants more. We want that wants more which has yeah. to do with knowing that you don't need to settle for what is. Yeah, exactly. And this plays into the, um, so, uh, I mean, there's many things that inform us of things that are outside of our experience. And some things we see and we go, I would never want to do that. That has no attraction for me. But then we see other things. We smell things, we touch things, we taste things, we see things, we hear things. And our senses yeah. feed into our brain. And we have some part of us that recognizes that there's something there that our self would like to experience in some way. And yet when we've had to, for safety reasons, impose these inhibitions, uh, then our, um, our illusion of control stops us from pursuing the desire. Yes. So, what that does is it cuts off learning whether or not we would really like it or not. Yes. So to me, the, uh, the, I'm sure there's many ways to structure doing this. And I know that people have these fabulous programs that do it different ways, but my personal experience is that it works better for me and the people I work with to do what I would describe as incremental, incremental exploration. Exploration. So that the, the person, as they explore, maintains a sense of being in charge. Yes. Being and that they can go forward or back freely without being pushed uh, out into space where they have no framework for handling the particularly the emotions that come up when you're flying. <laughs> yeah, <I would laughs> because really, when we go outside that box, we feel like we're flying with no 
no ground under us. Yeah, flying outside of the apparently safety box of inhibition. It's very interesting that you say because we we believe that this inhibition of of sensing of enjoying uh, essentially the senses it's a protection yeah. and it it can be but it can also be like mm, limiting the ability of not only going for the, your fullest expression but also to to remain safe because yeah. uh, inhibition can be confused with a home or safe place and if yeah. it's not examined through through the exploration yeah. you recommend in in gradual and incremental steps then yeah. it hinders possibilities so it's a it's a great invitation and yeah. to i've experienced some setting. of that yeah i've experienced this uh, with food for instance yes um a funny experience i have from when i was a uh, teenager, a friend of mine uh, came over to my house after church one Sunday, and my mother had baked an apple pie. And after the meal, she offered everyone a piece of apple pie, and my friend refused it. Why? How come? Because he had never tasted it, and he didn't know if he would. <gasps> so. Okay, so better the devil that you know that the one that you don't know. So he decided to stay not know with the devil of not knowing the flavor. Yes, yes. and after much persuasion of your mother, well, all of us, my whole family. <laughs> it was a complot. <laughs> oh, it was terrible. We were. If I had that to do over again, I would probably approach it differently. I would. Uh, <laughs> I would find some way to get him to take a teeny taste, but um, yeah, eventually he capitulated, and he didn't tell us why he didn't like it until after he had some. He finally revealed that he had never had it, and he was scared to try it. <gasps> he had never tried it, and he was afraid. Yes, and. To me, that is such a Brilliant. brilliant ex it's a brilliant example of where many of us are with something we're inhibiting. Yes. We are scared of what will happen when we experiment because we don't want to be overwhelmed with an unhappy experience or a happy experience that we don't know how to manage our emotional surge that might come from it because emotional surges like that when when we grow up in environments that don't support us emotionally yes we don't develop skill at containing ourselves when we have these strong emotional surges and happy emotional surges are as scary as the unhappy ones because that's, we that's don't right. have that sense of safety in ourselves, yeah. that I know how to be that big without blowing up. So important to create that safe space as as a true home instead of staying on the on the apparently home of innovation. And I think it's yes. that you mentioned the your mom's pie because it gives constant context to sensuality as mm -hmm. as what we share and teach here in Centro de Poder, that is uh, the ability to sense with, with your senses mm -hmm. and sense in a pleasurable way, because in a right. way we are so, we are allowed by the society to feel bad. I mean, if you have a stomach ache or a headache <laughs> or low back yeah. pain or shoulder pain, like you can complain and scream yeah. about it. And it's like, oh, poor you or poor yeah. you. And at the same time, like, oh, the hero, because if that shows <laughs> from working over time, then, yeah. then it's like heroic. So we are allowed to feel, we are allowed to feel 
bad and yeah. and even praised for that bad feeling if it's related to something like uh, societally approved but there's an the sen sensing it as as i experience it and as i believe it it's uh, the sensing of the self is fundamentally pleasurable as as um, an expression of health in the sense that uh, if you pay attention simply being alive mm -hmm. it's physically pleasurable like yeah. breathing and feeling like swallowing food and Mm -hmm. When you really need to go to the toilet and you finally <laughs> go, feel yeah. a fantastic relief or sleep, yeah. the physical sensations are pleasurable. And that sensuality, it's, it's um, the awareness of the pleasurable sensations that are a reliable indicator of health in the same measure that pain is, is uh, an indicator of disease. I mean, if you yeah. feel discomfort in, in the body or in the motions or in whatever realm of your existence, you need to do something. You, yeah. Very important not to yeah, stay have, I have some thoughts about um, the, the exploring and learning. Yes. If you think about our natural exploring as a baby, um, people present us with food to yeah. taste and uh, it's really obvious for a, an uninhibited baby when yeah. they are presented with something that disgusts them they will make a face that is just <laughs> and they'll spit or push uh -huh. away yes yes, and, yes, yes yes and you can see that they're uninhibited yeah. they're they're reacting to their senses and their senses say no and on the other hand, you see them when they get something to their mouth that they like, they want more of it. And, yes. Uh, even very, very in, clearly in, they want more and they go for it. Yeah. So, and another is touch. Uh, a baby exploring their own movement at some point, if they're physically capable of it, uh, their hand will get to their mouth. Yes. And then they start exploring. Oh, that's kind of nice. And they find ways to get the hand in the mouth more often. And some people who don't understand what's going on get upset that they're putting their hand in their mouth all the time, but it's natural. It's it's they're getting a sensation they like. Yes. And to me, the important thing for someone being present with a child at that stage is to celebrate their discovery and support them in exploring more sensation yes. uh, in a safe way yes uh, and so uh, another is a baby who has natural sight ability as their sight develops in the early weeks of life they begin to uh, engage more and more with what they can see around them and when they reach the ability to turn themselves over on their stomach to get that different perspective on the world around them. Uh, I just love, I've seen both in person and on video, children having that discovery moment where they're suddenly looking from their belly and it's like, wow, look at this. And of course, they're also having that visceral sensory experience of being on their belly and they did it themselves. So there's all this sensing going on that makes for a very exciting time. But then they begin, you see them begin to pay more and more attention to the world around them that they can see and they'll pursue getting on their belly again, just so they can have that visual perspective as well as the freedom of movement that comes from that at some point as they begin to crawl. Um, so to me, uh, beginning to support someone 
experimenting with loosening their inhibitions is creating experience, helping them create experiences where they do small experiments. Uh, and to give them control over which they already had, but to yes. make it explicit yes. that they have control to say, I like that, I don't like this. And uh, that's important in movement. It's important in touch. It's important in taste, hearing, visual. I see this painting, I like it. I see this one, yuck. I don't know yes. what the yes. artist was yes. doing, but I don't like it. Yes, yes. And Yes. And to to externalize like and don't like. Yes. I like when you touch me this way. I don't like when you touch me that way. I like the when I touch this uh, chair, but when I touch the stone, that's too rough for me. Um, I like the fur of this cat. I don't like the fur of this dog. It's too rough or scratchy or something or, you know, to to play with very basic sensing experiences of like and dislike. Like and dislike, like, like claim, reclaiming back yeah. the expression of discernment. Because yeah. we, we always know in a physical level, like, okay, this doesn't taste good, but I am going, or <laughs> like, like to conform to social, norms on spider yeah i'm at this restaurant with my friends and they said i should try this yuck i don't like it but i'm with my friends and they said i should try it it's not okay to say bleh. or it's not okay you know. to say bra <laughs> but <laughs> it's not okay it's not okay for them but at the same time it's what is okay with you yeah so it, it, it's it's daring and i think that's that's the 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 decision of sincerity of being yeah first and foremost sincere with yourself and extend that authenticity and sincerity to your friends yeah. in the sense that you need to know what what you like and you don't like in a physical level yeah. to, re, to regain and reclaim trust trust in your body trust in yourself and trust in the world because from there you can tell your friend with with your hand on your chest <laughs> like i don't like your restaurant uh, or i am not liking this food maybe you yeah. say it with uh, better words but yeah, you can always say i love that you like this and wanted to share it with me and unfortunately in my mouth, it doesn't taste good. We need to copy paste that script, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> of how to say no, because that is also saying yes to yourself and yeah. going beyond that um, apparent home that is more of a jail of inhibition that yeah. refers you to past experiences that got you into that space and inhibited mm -hmm. and limit you from from relating to to this precise moment as it is on yeah. your fullest ca capabilities so i that's that's wonderful and makes a huge contrast on the experience that your friend had with the delicious pie of of your mother yeah. his inhibition blocked yeah. him from really getting uh getting to know and and, not, and having a discernment of his experience because yeah. ch chances are that he didn't like it because he hadn't tasted which is like weird he didn't relate to the pie or their experience or or the present moment but just like to a look in the past and mm -hmm. this goes for all the realms of of sense abilities, sen mm -hmm. sensing possibilities and sensuality. Yeah. And you mentioned something very important about uh, control, that it's this discernment, knowing I like it or I don't like it, like the baby, mm -hmm. is uh, 
is the basis like knowing that you're in control and and going incrementally only as far as 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 you feel in in control and in relation yeah. to that uh, i believe that there's a like a cliche a belief in our society that control is tension but in in one of of your writings you state that um be more in control and more relaxed so so you mm -hmm. connect control with relaxation how is that for me that's that's breaking like like or melting a huge wall of a fake belief on control through inhibition and control yeah. through tension how come that that me, true control has to do with relaxation so to me uh true control and you've alluded to this some before true control is when uh we feel in charge of our own choices we feel in charge of our own choices yes so and uh there's moshe feldenkrais gets quoted for this one thing that he said over and over and over which many feldenkrais practitioners repeat and i love it still because it has so many implications when you know what you're doing you can do what you want yes when you don't know what you're doing it doesn't matter what you do because you won't know if you're getting what you want. Yes. So there's so many things tied up in that. One of them is the thing about knowing what you want. When we inhibit ourselves sensorially and sensually by implication, we don't find out what we want and what we don't want. What we're doing is we're pre-deciding that we're not going to risk experimenting finding out we're going to stick with what we already know regardless of how limited it is because we feel that is better than risking disappointment pain disgust danger uh, physical harm uh, from going outside of whatever box we've chosen the rock the type of boxes can be many i mean it can be as simple as my friend who didn't want to try apple pie or it could be much more complicated uh, someone who doesn't want to uh, let anyone touch them because it might stir feelings that they've suppressed because of something somebody did to them uh, or it might bring back memories that they don't want to deal with because they don't have the support they need to process those properly. Um, That's key. Like, if it, like, realizing if you have an inhibition that goes beyond your your means and that it's better not to to touch it, but to go to a professional and seek help. To solve yeah. that, to to help unravel and and overcome that situation, because yeah. th there are things in the body and the mind and everything that we are <laughs> that yeah. doesn't heal with time, just per se. Like, yeah. if you cut your finger like chopping potatoes, it will heal <laughs> like tomorrow yeah. or in two days if you just yeah. pass. But there there are things that. Uh, if you don't address them professionally, um, they they stay there, and you yeah. operate in, uh, in the way that you found found in that moment to keep on forward. But that doesn't mean that it's the um, that you are healed and yeah. that you are like living fully. And it's important yeah. to no, at, at the center of your experience and do yeah. as much as you can to 
to live fully. I don't know how it is where you've lived, uh, but in the United States and in Europe, where I have lived, uh, there's a great tendency by people who, uh, I would say themselves have not had great emotional support to uh, be uncomfortable with someone who's having some sort of upsetting experience, uh, the loss of someone or uh, some injury and or a breakup in a relationship. Uh, all these things, what I hear people say is just get over it. Yeah. And the truth is that um, that's not how we work. No, that's that. That's the, get over the, it. It's the outcome of a process. It's it's like when they tell you, "No, relax," and it's not, <laughs> not like you click the relax button. No, yeah. relaxation. Yeah. It's the outcome of one hour and a half being in the floor breathing with a professional. <laughs> yeah. So what my experience is, and all my teachers who are good at this. Uh, teach is that the way to a nicer future is to fully experience what we need to feel uh, and to have the feelings at a level where our nervous system feels complete. Yes. But sometimes the experience is so overwhelming that our nervous system is not ready for that. And it's rare with those kinds of experiences that we can open the box on our own because those kinds of experiences tend, until we've had enough practice, uh, we don't know how to make that safe space for ourselves. That, to me, that's a sort of a shortcoming of uh, the educational process most of us go through growing up, unless you have really good parents and teachers who know how to teach you to have these skills, we get to adulthood age with no knowledge of how our psyche works and how to create those safe experiences for ourselves. We don't know, uh, for instance, how satisfying it can be to <laughs> retreat into a corner uh, like with a stuffed bear or a pet and just hold ourselves to let the feelings pass. Um, sometimes a really important tool is to have someone with us. There's some things that to process them to have the full experience we need to be witnessed and witnessing ourselves is not enough. We need someone outside of us. To witness us. Yeah. And so to me, learning, creating experiences for people to ex have that embodied experience of being witnessed is an important part of opening sensuality because uh, when we have the experience of other people accepting us with our likes and dislikes yes then that solidifies that structure in ourselves that says i am in in charge of what i like and don't like no one else can tell me what to like or dislike yes, yes. and so uh, if you think about the baby being fed food it doesn't like well some parents and caregivers, for whatever reason, think that a baby should eat the thing that they're giving them and they will keep forcing it on them until the baby submits. And then that baby is making decisions for their whole lifetime about dealing with things they like and dislike. And so somebody in their 50s or 60s is still struggling with choices about food because they were taught not to be safe and trust mm -hmm. their likes and dislikes. Yes. So um, 
to me, this, there's this whole dance of interaction with other people that is complicated by those early experiences where we may have rules and decisions that were made before we were even verbal. Uh, things about touch, taste, uh, comfort and discomfort and placement, like a bed that's uncomfortable or a, a, a piece of furniture. Uh, to me, one of the most amazing things is to find a, a couch or a chair that when I sit in it, it supports me and comforts me just to be in it. To me, that can be a hugely satisfying sensual experience. But if I've been taught to disown my own sensation, then when I sit in a place like that, I may not even reach the level of conscious awareness that, wow, this is a fantastic chair for me. Uh, and to want to repeat the experience. Uh, it, so, um, learning to deal with likes and dislikes is both a very private and a very social yes. thing. And so, there's some things that we can experiment with on our own uh, and discover things. But then there's other things that only happen in connection with other people and so having developing that sense of it's okay for me to know what I like and what I don't like and to set limits with other people when I don't like it that's a very critical skill to develop if we don't already have it when we reach an adult age and uh, a lot of inhibition can be tracked to those kinds of issues we don't, to me, coming back to the, the word control. Yes. Uh, real control is knowing what we like and dislike. Yes. And then choosing what we do or don't do. There may be times where we choose to do something we dislike because there's something we want that can only be achieved through tolerating the thing we dislike. Uh, there's extreme examples of the wilderness survival incidents where someone gets trapped and the only choice to stay alive is to damage their body to get out of the situation. Um, but to me, that's really extreme, but it's a really clear cut example of they would never do that under normal circumstances. Yeah, I, I think that's the key. Only, only bypass your dislikes when it's for an extreme circumstance. Not, yeah. not to please your uh, aunt. Or, yeah, or, or exactly. No, yeah. I, if, you, if you need to, to hurt yourself because that's the only way to survive, yeah. well, then there actually there is not, no much choice, but we, we give away our, our sense of integrity for, for smiling to the, someone food that you don't <laughs> like yeah. and it's very important i i feel to to also give space for the experience of other people um not being comfortable with our dislikes no mm -hmm. yeah Instead, yeah that's a real dance yeah that's a, a real dance it's, it's wonderful. It's key. I, I appreciate so much that that you brings all this clarity on how to to decide not to settle with sensual inhibition and understand control as being in charge and deciding upon our own likes and dislikes. And I wonder if you could share with us. Uh, a small practice or experience that that we can all uh, that we're watching here uh, okay. have of of sensuality. Okay, so um, I have a very favorite uh, little experiment that I like to offer people. That it's short, uh, but it can be surprising. Yes, let's do it. Okay, so. 
to begin, just sit comfortably, hands on thighs, uh, arms sort of just hanging, and as relaxed as you can let your shoulders be. And then without looking at your arms, bring them across your chest and fold your arms. And let, if you tuck your hands in, just let that happen the way you usually do it. Now, take a moment and just feel the parts of you that are touching yourself, you know, the parts of your arm that might be resting against your torso, uh, how your hands are touching the different parts of your arms or uh, your chest or your belly, depending on where things are resting. Uh, maybe even particularly noticing fingertips and thumb. Uh, where are they? Are they turned up or down? Uh, are they straight or are they relaxed and curled? Uh, are they relaxed and straight? And does it feel warm or cool? Uh, what about the, if you are touching cloth, what does the cloth feel like? Is it bumpy, smooth, soft, hard, uh, whatever? Uh, just notice the quality of sensation of whatever your fingers are touching. Are some of your fingers hanging in the air? And uh, can you tell if they are or not? Some people with sensory challenges may have difficulty feeling the fingertips, but see, try it and see what you feel. And then very slowly, disentangle your hands and arms and bring your hands back to your lap, to your thighs. And now take a breath and then notice the sensation of your hands on whatever they're resting on, on your thighs, uh, if it's skin or clothing. Uh, notice how the fingers are arranged and, you know, is there space under some of the fingers? Are, they, are the fingertips touching? Is it the palm touching the wrist? And how are your arms hanging? Do your shoulders feel different now than at the beginning? So now do that one more time, bring the hands and arms to cross over the way you usually do, the habitual way. I'll call it the habitual way going forward as a matter of reference. So this is a reference movement. This is what we do all the time. Each of us has our own way. And there's a particular way we feel comfortable arranging our arms and hands. Uh, of course, at times there might be some tension in a shoulder or neck and it might not feel as comfortable as normal, but there's sort of this habitual place we go. So this time, uh, we won't take a lot of time sensing this arrangement. What I want you to do is very slowly make small movements to separate. And as you separate, notice on the sensations in the hands and the arms as they move past each other. There's nothing special to notice, just notice the sensations. Where do you feel contact? And as the surfaces move past each other, what experience do you have? And then come to rest again with the hands on the thighs. Now do it one more time, just easily crossing the arms and tucking them and come to rest. And now just casually without thinking about it, bring them apart again and rest. Now take a moment, close your eyes and think about which hand is on top when you do it. Which hand is tucked, if it's tucked? And see if you can imagine 
putting the other hand on top and the other hand tucked with the arms crossed in the opposite organization. And see if that's easy to imagine or difficult. And what happens in your body as you think about doing that? Is there part of you that has some kind of response? Does your stomach tighten or your neck tighten or your, your, your eyelids do something or your forehead? Maybe there's nothing. It's just something to notice if there's any response when you think about doing the other organization. So now, uh, let your eyes open. And now attempt crossing the arms the unfamiliar way. See if you can find a way to get the other hand on the outside on top and the other hand tucked in underneath. And notice how easily it happens or not. Some people find this extremely difficult, others extremely easy. I've had some people say, oh, that's, who is that? That's not me, that's creepy. Um, like they're having an out of body experience. <laughs> so it just, it varies so much. But if, if you're able to find the way to that position, once you find it, settle there for a moment and see, uh, does, do your wrists like that position or is it so unfamiliar that they feel uncomfortable? And what about the shoulders? Is the shoulder pulled forward in some way that doesn't feel natural or strained? Uh, if, you're a, if you're an advanced movement person, it may be easy or not easy, but with these established hab habitual patterns, often going to something unhabitual really will feel uncomfortable because we're moving into an organization and stopping there. So the muscles that are not used to going that way tell our nervous system something and our nervous system goes, oh, this is wrong. And so we, might have some residual tension with it. So then I invite you to bring the arms apart again and rest. And now see if you can go, see how smoothly you can go to that new position and do it more, see if you can do it more easily than the first time. Or does it become more confusing? Sometimes people, it doesn't get any easier right away. It takes, uh, I must say for myself, the first time I started playing with this, it took many repetitions before it became easy. So stay there for a moment. And now uh, again, do the experiment of sensing the fingers and what they're touching and notice how it feels to have the sensations you're getting with the hands in this organization as opposed to the habitual one. And also notice how the arms are resting against the torso, uh, maybe how the wrists are connecting against each other or the arms, what parts of the arms are touching the torso as opposed to being exposed to the air in front. And also notice, uh, see what your sense is of how the shoulders are. Is one shoulder, are they level or is one shoulder higher than the other? Is one shoulder a bit forward from the other? Uh, do you, is there any sensation of stretching or pulling in the back between the shoulder blades? Uh, how does the stomach feel with this different pressure against the stomach or the uh, 
other wherever the on the abdomen the contact is because with this organization the way you're holding probably isn't distributing the weight the same way so now uh, as you separate the hands and arms do it slowly and pay attention to the sensations of coming apart and see if there's anything you notice this time relative to when you pulled apart slowly before. And now let your eyes close and rest and take in the sensations of the hands on the place they're resting. And uh, for a moment, just follow the sensations of breathing, movement of air through nose or mouth and through the throat and the movement of the lungs. Maybe the lungs are not so easy to feel, but the movement of ribs and the chest as air moves in and out. And now let your eyes open softly and do your habitual arm crossing and see how, how, what sensations you have as you go back to the habitual, what sense do you have of going to that position after experimenting with the unusual one? Is there a sensation you notice that you didn't notice before? Is there some way that you respond to going back to the place that you know? Would you say this position feels more comfortable than the experimental one? It's possible the experimental one actually might feel better or not. It may feel so strange that it can't be comfortable at this point. But just notice if there's pleasure or not with doing the familiar one. And is there, is there a possibility that as you come back to the familiar that you sense it more deeply than you did at the beginning? Is there anything you notice more fully of what this choice feels like than the other one. And then let your arms come apart again and let your arms rest. And just think about the possibility of choosing either one and knowing that you can choose either one, even though one may be more difficult. What if you hurt your one of your arms and you could no longer easily do the one that you prefer? Would you never cross your arms again because it was uncomfortable? Or would you try the other one to see if it worked with, without the discomfort? People who develop a frozen shoulder often are faced with choices like that. Or someone who has an injury to the elbow or wrist they may not be able to do the familiar and uh, feel safe there. That's it. Wonderful. Something, yeah, something uh, that's so um, accessible for most people uh, to play with as something just to explore sensory experience. There's and it's just an ex a easy example of many explorations that are available to us. Uh, we can try things in everyday life with uh, things we do that we always do the same way. Well, more or less the same way. I mean, every time we do it, it's new, but we, we're accustomed. Uh, things like uh, the way we pick up cutlery when we're eating. Uh, 
I suggest experiments of all of these kinds to be done when we're not in a hurry, because when we're in a hurry, it may be dangerous to <laughs> experiment with unusual movements. But when there's opportunity to just go slow, you can try like switching hands that you hold fork and knife. Or if you always hold the spoon in the same hand, switch to the other. Stir, stir tea or coffee with the hand that you don't usually do and notice what happens. Uh, um, I discovered it's rather dangerous at my kitchen door to put the key in with my left hand because I'm so used to doing it with my right that I don't knock my knuckles against the door frame. But it, the first time I tried it with the left, the handle was close to the door frame. And when I turned my hand with the key, I skinned my knuckles. Right. <laughs> so that's another kind of example of the danger of experimenting. There really are dangers in trying unusual movements. So it's important to maintain safety. Um, but I suggest the experiment nonetheless. It's, it's a worthy experiment to find out if and how I have control when I do it differently. Simple, another simple one is going upstairs. Uh, try noticing which foot you start with, which foot goes up on the first step. And then step back and try making the other foot go first. Once we're in movement, it doesn't matter which one's going first because they're both going. But that first one tells us something about which foot feels like our safe one to leap, to launch forward from. Um, people with stability problems might have a real challenge with trying starting from the other foot. There's so many things, simple things like uh, brushing teeth. If you do that, to switch up which hand is holding the toothbrush. My left hand feels really awkward, but I've done it enough times now that I can actually do it. There was a period of time where my right hand was injured and I couldn't hold the brush with my left. And so I had to switch and I had to get somewhat comfortable with it. Of course, an electric toothbrush makes it easy, but to actually do the brushing movements and move around without jamming the thing into my gums or my cheek, you know, it was surprising how little I knew about how to organize that movement on that side. And I've given up talking about um, the dominant hand. Uh, I, I, I prefer talking like in terms of preferential because if you think about yes. uh, work like chopping vegetables, which hand has the more dangerous job, the one moving the knife or the one moving the vegetables? If, if you're like chopping celery, yeah. And the hand that's holding the vegetables doesn't make precise movements. It's going to move under the knife. Yes. So in that case, that hand, which is probably the one someone would call their non-dominant hand, that hand has the bigger job. Yes. <laughs> so it, the, the terminology of dominant and non-dominant is actually rather limiting to me. I, and to me, it gives me more sense of control to say preferential uh, or another term like that. Yes, we can, we can practice this discernment of liking and not, not liking in every yeah. area of, of the life, even on yes. course and terms. Because to me, it's important to start out with the little things. Yes. Uh, the smaller, the better, because then it the risk is small. Is small. Yes. And, and you start to melt that inhibition box and also yeah. daring to, to bloom beyond yeah. limitations. Wonderful, mm -hmm. Robert. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for You're welcome. your time and your attention. 
Would you share with our audience where can they find you? Okay, so I have a website on that uh, is accessible to everyone on the web. Uh, it is www.trianglefeldenkrais.com and uh, Feldenkrais is F-E-L-D-E-N-K-R-A-I-S. There's no punctuation between triangle and Feldenkrais. Um, I'm also, I also have a presence on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, currently, I don't update those frequently, but uh, there are some interesting things to read on my website, uh, experiences I've had and uh, things that I feel strongly about in my work as a teacher practitioner. So I invite you to explore that. And if you have questions, there's a email uh, contact information on the website. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Robert. And thank you for being in this uh, interview with, with the expert, <clears throat> Robert Boyle. And remember to know your fire so you can share your flame. See you next time. Thank you so okay. much. Okay. Thank you.